I'm Libby. I'm Tori. I'm Quentin. And And we're we're Crooked Crooked Classics. Unfortunately for this episode, Kirsten was not able to make it, but she is here in spirit. Welcome to Crooked Classics. This week we are discussing Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, and we have a couple of recurring guests and a new guest. Welcome back, Isaac and Jade. It's great to have you. Hi. It's great to be here. Awesome. And we have a new guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, my name's Heather. I am female, and I am a little older than the rest of you, maybe. (laughs) I have been reading Jane Eyre about once a year for, well, since fourth grade, so that would be... A long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a bachelor's degree in anthropology. Oh, okay. I don't know. All right, would you like to read the synopsis for us or give sure. us a breakdown? Okay. Uh, Jane Eyre, written by Charlotte Bronte, was published on October 16, 1847, under the pen name Currer Bell. Charlotte Bronte was born April 12, 1816, as the oldest of the surviving Bronte children and taught her younger sisters, who also became famous authors. She outlived all of her siblings, but was outlived by her father. She worked as a teacher and governess, and eventually she and her sisters admitted to their pen names and became celebrated in London literary circles. Charlotte died March 31, 1855, and is buried at St. Michael and All Angels Church in Haworth, England. Jane Eyre is an eponymial Bilda's Roman, noted for being the first to use a first-person narrative. It focuses on the life and moral development of the heroine, starting with her grievous childhood spent with relatives at Gateshead Manor, where she is abused. She is then sent to Lowood School at age 10, where she learns music, sewing, drawing, and French. The school is revitalized after a breakout of typhus draws public attention to the poor conditions of the school, and Jane's closest friend dies of consumption. Jane decides at 18 to leave Lowood for another position, and accepts a governess position at Thornfield Hall. At Thornfield, she feels accepted by the staff of the house and grows close to her only pupil. When the owner of the house, Mr. Rochester, returns, they fall in love and he eventually proposes. Jane accepts. At the wedding, they are interrupted by a Mr. Briggs and Mr. Mason, who announce an impediment to the marriage in that Rochester's first wife is still living. It is then revealed that she is living in the attic and Rochester has been hiding her from the entire household and neighborhood because of her insanity. Rochester explains that he doesn't consider himself married, even if the law does, and attempts to get Jane to live with him as his wife regardless. Jane leaves Thornfield without telling anyone to avoid pursuit. She eventually finds herself with the Rivers family, who help her recover from her travels and further her education. It is eventually discovered that they are cousins and that Jane is the heir to their uncle. Jane shares the money with the siblings. The brother, Sinjin, proposes to her so that she can join him in mission work abroad. She declines, but offers to go in the guise of his sister. He insists that they would need to be married and asks her several times. Jane then believes she hears Rochester's voice calling to her and leaves to see if he is well. Upon her return to Thornfield, she finds that his wife has burned the building to the ground and that he was seriously injured in the events, resulting in the loss of a hand and blindness. When Rochester discovers she is there, he tells her he no longer needs a wife but a nurse, and he doesn't want to keep her there to care for him. She insists she still loves him, and they get married. They have children, and the sight eventually returns to one of Rochester's eyes. Cut out a lot of stuff at Thornfield in that synopsis, because a lot happens at Thornfield. (laughs) Yeah. A lot. My favorite's the cross-dressing. The cross-dressing is a little racist, but it is pretty entertaining. Uh, yeah, it was pretty entertaining. Yeah, it was kind of unexpected, and there are very few movie or stage adaptations that actually do the cross-dressing part correctly. Usually he hires an outside source. Mm. Although the musical, the whole musical number, mm-hmm. Rochester sings it all high. <laughs> I have a recording of it on my phone, a video of my brother singing it, if anyone's interested later. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot more... Um, like music and poetry in the book than I remember from when I read it in high school. <laughs> um, so I was a little surprised about that. And I immediately just fell back in love with the storytelling and with all of the prose and the writing style. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really nice to fall back into. I, for one, as soon as I started reading it, I was like, there's no way anyone believed this was written by a man. 
I'm sorry, <laughs> but you're going way too deep into the emotions of the lead female character and comparing it to the previous works that we've done here on the podcast, it is blatantly obvious this was written by a woman. Unlike Shakespeare, Charlotte Bronte has spoken to a woman. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say also the fact that a lot of the dudes are like the enemies for a good portion of it. Mm-hmm. It's like that meme I shared. Uh, uh, Jane Austen and Charlotte Bronte were the best writers of the age because no one knows horrors like unannounced visitors or men fighting for your hand. <laughs> and thinking they're better than you. Exactly. No. Oh, that's the trick to men fighting for your hand is to just let them wear themselves out and then let them have a nap. Yep. They'll feel better. Yep. <laughs> One of the things I always find very interesting about this book, I don't I don't think I'm supposed to hate Sinjin. I do. I hate him so much. Oh, I hate much. him too. Oh, hate He's him like, the worst. From a modern <laughs> perspective, Sinjin is one of the most annoying characters. If you deny me, you deny God. Yes, but in eight, no, he's the nice guy. That's what he seven. is. Oh yes. Was Sinjin perceived as a nice, like legitimately as a nice guy in eighteen forty? No, he would not have been perceived as a nice guy, but he would have been perceived as correctly focused because mm. religion was such a huge part of society, mm-hmm. and especially in correct society. Speaking of, one of the things I find super interesting in this book also is that Jane's, like, big into God, but both of the pastors are just such total jerks. Like, yes. Yay, God, boo, his reps. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also just, I, I'm, I, I don't know that Charlotte Bronte would have had the language for this at the time, but I think it is a little bit comparative of, like, patriarchy versus the divine feminine mm-hmm. in a lot Ooh. of ways. I'm looking at Jane's relationship with Helen and um, later on how she helps raise Adele. Like, in the very last chapter, how she talks about Adele was at another really strict school and was unhappy and then you know gives her the chance that she wish she had should wish she wish she would have had as a child um so i think it's a really sweet comparison and um even when i read it in high school um i remember just thinking how jane represents like a version of spirituality and religion that is a very pure lovely form of it and then the other examples in the book are very legalistic and, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of strict and harsh and all of the <laughs> the bad You can't things. kill me, that won't be in, in that sense, I'd say Mrs. Reader was the perfect introduction to that mm-hmm. before actually meeting either of the pastors. So I feel like it was common in that time to punish people for not being considered normal so in this case Jane was an orphan and so she was being punished for being an orphan and Mm -hmm. having to rely on her aunt to provide all of her needs and then when she goes into Lowood again they're all being punished for being orphans and for Mm -hmm. not having family or any resources to pull from or to go back to that was that was very very typical of Mm -hmm. that age Um, there was the deserving poor and there was the undeserving poor which brings us back to Christmas Carol because um, Bob Cratchit, that's his name, was like the archetype of the deserving poor, even though there's no way he would have been able to afford that house mm-hmm. on his salary. Oh yeah, absolutely not. And his salary was good. Yes. I'm glad we went back to Christmas Carol for a good thing rather than the lobster. <laughs> <laughs> the lobster is the most important part of a Christmas Carol. <laughs> I will not give up the lobster. We had a long conversation about why. In the Muppet version of the Christmas Carol, they don't have like a Muppet glowing lobster. They have a shrimp already. Every excuse, (laughs) they didn't go for it. So anyway, isn't there like a shrimp Muppet? They do. There's a a king shrimp. He's a king prawn shrimp. He's a he's a he's he's a king prawn. He would get mad at you for calling him a shrimp. Listen, I've seen very little Muppet stuff. Who else loved Miss Temple? This is a verbal podcast. I can't just raise my hand. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like three, four, so, three again. Uh, Quentin, Libby, and Tori all raised their hands. <laughs> Jade, me, and Heather did not. So, <laughs> there you go. But I, I love Miss Temple because she was she gave Jane the opportunity to defend herself, and then when she learned that the defense was you know essentially accurate with the doctor from the time from Mrs. Reed's house, like she confirmed uh, Jane's story, and then she forgave Jane and said you did nothing wrong. Mm. So I absolutely love Miss Temple because she's like she like exemplified the best teacher of time. Mm. I did not. I hated Mr. Brocklehurst. Oh, Miss Temple was more of a mother figure, yes. than a teacher. But if you consider this, this is drawing a lot of Charlotte Bronte's life, mm-hmm. and you consider that she lost her mother very young, then she lost her older two sisters mm-hmm. to a school like Lowood. Mm-hmm. It was Cow and Bridge Academy for poor religious daughters, but. You know, it it was it was pretty much Lowood, and so Charlotte wrote a lot of mother figures, a lot of them. She mm-hmm. also fell in love with a married man at one point, didn't she? Uh, yeah. Okay. She did. Like which in author's Brussels. Wikipedia did I? <laughs> so it makes sense as this uh, that this came across as a biography. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah. it was very intentional. Oh yeah. Should we talk about race in the book? Because I really want to talk about Oh, race. I had Let's some talk about race when I started rereading about Mrs. Reed and her children because that talks about, like, Jane makes, makes comments about them being darker skinned. And mm-hmm. then Jane also says, you hate me because I'm a different race, which could be read as, like, she's an yeah. upstanding, you know, wealthy woman and Jane is, like, an undeserving poor orth- orphan. But I was also kind of thinking maybe... Perhaps there's something there, especially because this is around the time where you would have had some wealthy African Americans in mm-hmm. Victorian England. So, and this was also when um, Wilberforce was doing all of his abolitionist work, mm-hmm. Henry Wilberforce, and 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 working at getting slavery abolished in England. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly when. I mean, I'd have to Google it. Google's our friend. I think we it was at the very, like, the first decade of the 1800s that it was. Oh. I, I don't know. Don't ask me. Cold. I don't know. <laughs> and here comes the part of the podcast where you pull you out our phones and Google. Google. Who <laughs> oh, is my friend? Uh, 1772 is when it said it first, and now I'm reading more, and now it's giving me other dates. Okay. Probably, yeah. like... Okay, so it looks like it was abolished to have slaves, but transportation was still legal for a while. And it's a whole empire, so it was probably took a while, I can only imagine. Uh, Slavery Abolition Act in 1833 in British History Act of Parliament that abolished slavery in most British colonies, freeing more than 800,000 enslaved Africans in the Caribbean and South Africa, as well as a small number in Canada. It received royal assent on August 28, 1833, and took effect on August 1st, 1834. So Jane Eyre is set right when that was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, Bertha is not white. And uh, Blanche is supposed to be olive-complexioned. Mm-hmm. So Honestly, I kind of read that Blanche and her family were of, like... This is gonna sound terrible. It's okay. But like Middle Eastern like descent, like it just it, it just came across that way that they mm. were like, uh, I think it says she's darker skin tone. Real, but I'm gonna look it up. I think Bertha, because she's Jamaican. No, is that? They definitely met in Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. But no, um, Blanche mm-hmm. would have been British all the way back. They're landed gentry in the neighborhood. She has. She would have a pedigree, way deep. Mm-hmm. Okay, I it says, abs- it I absolutely says, love that. Go ahead. It says Bertha's mother was a Creole. Okay. Mm. But I absolutely love that uh, Blanche and her mother decided to decline the marriage when they found when Rochester said that he lost his wealth, which was a lie. Mm. I love that Rochester's like she's terrible because she didn't want to marry me for my money, and I'm like, do you bring anything else? To the table, <laughs> sir. <laughs> <laughs> the girl who you loves me. You don't want me. You 
my you ward and my crazy wife just as we are? No, <laughs> no, you you just you want like my houses treasury? that don't catch fire. <laughs> Love is dead. <laughs> Olive complexion, dark and clear. That's how Blanche is described by Mrs. Fairfax. Okay. I really like the search function in the ebooks. I don't like ebooks, but I do like the search function. Yeah, I, I love the feel of heart of like physical books, yeah. but they don't have a search function. <laughs> yeah, unless it's the Bible, then you can buy a separate book to use as a search function. True. Mm-hmm. Accurate. Got mine in the garage sale. They didn't know what they had. <laughs> I, I need to point this out again because I keep going back to it. This book was obviously written by a woman because <laughs> no man, <laughs> no man would be able to accurately portray the way that Jane tried to suppress her feelings for Rochester. Like I felt that to my core. <laughs> like I, I'm sorry, but you guys would not have been able to explain that as well as she well, could. No, because we're not women in the 1800s. <laughs> exactly, but the fact that, like, they, I understand yes, that... Yes, but a, a man it, also, unless he went to a lot of therapy, would not be able to explain <laughs> his <laughs> own suppressed feelings. Actually, I think so I would, the socialization of gender. <laughs> but I understand that she had to publish it under the pseudonym in order to have it actually published, because women, you know, were incubators of the time. Um, and I mean, Jane Eyre, or not Jane Eyre, Jane Austen did get published under her name, but it would have been so much more difficult, and because she was handing much more delicate topics, yeah. then she would have had a harder time, because if you're yeah. writing it as a man, you're writing for an, the entire world as an audience, but people tend to perceive authorship by women as being just for women. I have a whole mm-hmm. soapbox about this, but they like it when I focus, so I'm not... <laughs> A lot of fantasy written by women, even if it is an adult fantasy book, will get published as young adult. That does not happen when men write fantasy books. I'm looking at you, Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> okay, did anybody else notice the uh, foreshadowing instance of the tree? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's some yeah, of the best Isaac. literary foreshadowing. When I was giving Isaac the Cliffs notes, I was like, and then there's this tree. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the stage version with one of my brothers and the, t- the tree split down the middle and he's like, it represents a broken family. And I was like, yeah, but you don't know that yet. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> a broken family or a broken relationship or a broken I mean, person? Yes. Because Rochester gets broken by his hand and his eyes. And then Jane was broken in the first place, but she was still held together by her own res- resolve, essentially. Um, and then like their relationship together that started out strong, but then the the impact of his still living life caused the cleft down the middle of the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh my gosh, there's just so much. Like, yeah, every conversation so she has with Rochester, he's like, I'm trying to decide if this is a good angel or a bad angel. And she's like, it's a bad angel. And he's like, no, it seems like a good plan. <laughs> That's right. Ignore the woman. Trust your instincts. Yes. Jane was broken in the first place. I disagree. Ooh. Okay. Spice. It's not. It's good. Okay. Seriously. So she, with her background, she was she was an orphan brought up by an aunt who didn't want her in the first place, and that causes a lot of generational trauma. Um, And then she goes to a school where she is essentially outcast because she of the lies that Brocklehurst told based on what Mrs. Reed Well, she told. thinks she's going to be outcast, but everyone ends up accepting her because nobody else likes Brocklehurst either. Yeah. This is true. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, mm, oh, he said it. It's, he's, yeah, she's but, fine. But go on. Um, and then with her relationship with, with Rochester, she keeps going back and forth. Jane herself has great resolve. Like, she's a good character, and the events that happened to her caused the rift in the middle. I feel like that was mm. what I was trying to say. Okay. Is that that's how she's like the tree? Is that like she herself has great resolve? She has a great will. She's a very strong person, but the events of her life caused like the split. Okay, I wouldn't necessarily define her as a broken person so much as I would like she's a she's a traumatized person. And even when they talk about Lurk in the chapter where um, she had just come out of the red room and she's sitting on the fireplace and like shaking and crying. 
And she says something into, of, to the effect of, like, yes, Mrs. Reed, like, your actions have affected me to this day. It's interesting because she, like, in two sentences is like, I'm fine. This didn't affect me. And then she's like, well, but I still think about it. And have, like, a physical reaction to it to this day. And so I think it's just we're living in a very, very different time, and we have a very, very different definition of trauma and brokenness and what that looks like in a person. But Rest in peace, true. Freud. You would have loved Jane Eyre. <laughs> <laughs> Probably could have read it if you wanted to, but I wanted to tell the joke, so. <laughs> well, yeah. There, it's a very, very different time. I still disagree with Jane being broken. Um, there's a lot of resolve, and yeah, she probably had some nightmares and she and Rochester had a lot of discussion about stuff that we don't hear about because it was in their marriage and they talked all day long but we don't get to know about all that but at the same time though every time she's beaten down she comes back stronger okay she was a quiet little mouse hiding in the house hiding behind the curtains so that she didn't get found by her cousin and obeying Mrs. Reed and allowing her allowing Mrs. Reed to put her in a separate lane, you know, there was a gulf between her and the children of the house. And then she went to Lowood, and she she got uh, she lost her mind when Helen got punished, and I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. But then when when it actually happens to her, she stands there and she deals with it. And, well, 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 if it isn't it. the bridge I said I'd cross when I can't do it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then, and then she, she, she grows through the Lowood things. It, mm-hmm. it becomes better. Mm-hmm. Then she goes to Thornfield, and all of that mess happened. And, but after all of it, she manages to grow. She, she sets her feet on the path, and she's the, the schoolmistress, and well admired in the district and studying Hindustani with Sinjin, who, yeah, I agree with you that he's 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 a nasty piece of work. And he's he, a prat. Yes, yes, he is. But at the end, then she Not ends the up standing up and and being and being the wife of a disabled person. And you know, at that point, gender doesn't matter. Being a caregiver in that time for a disabled person, blindness and lameness, and he, Rochester lost his, his hand, and that, that's huge back then. I mean, there was no prosthetics. Hey, shout out to the movie adaptations that actually had him lose his hand, because a lot of them tried to clean it up and make it more aesthetic at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I probably need to stop reading Outlander, not gonna happen, but I was just like, <laughs> oh yeah, Claire could definitely have set those bones. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen documentaries on medieval surgical practices, and I think I could be a medieval surgeon if you gave me a real sharp knife in about ten minutes. <laughs> That's really funny. It's a sharp knife and a saw. How hard can it be? No. Maybe a little fire? No. <laughs> Don't forget the leeches. I mean, no. I'm talking surgery, not medicine. It's a different thing. Oh, I can okay, also cut okay, your hair. Okay. I'm sorry. Whatever you need yes. removed. I'm just very glad we live in 2020 and not 1620. The Lord messes his barbers. If the limbs don't need removed, the beards will grow. <laughs> Save it for Don Quixote, don't worry. But anyway, I I don't need Kirsten to be distracted. No. <laughs> I still think that Jane ends up being stronger for all of it. Because she ends up, you know, she, she talks about She's a helpmeet and partner. And this actually goes back to the whole Victorian woman question, which the Brontes, all three of them, wrote about in their novels. She says that no woman was truly more a helpmeet and partner to her husband than I am of mine because of his disability. Especially with his her previous concerns about them being unequal. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, before before he was he was damaged... You know, he was giving her everything material. He was feeding her. He was clothing her. He was housing her. He was employing her. And the only way that she could that she could fight back is to cut it from fifty pink dresses to one black and one gray dress mm-hmm. in in the village. You know. Mood. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so we're um, not talking about your sewing stash. Oh, Don't tell like, people. Like, sewing <laughs> stashes and yarn stashes are against collecting craft supplies no and using craft supplies are different hobbies. No touchy. I was gonna say you either die in your fifty pink dress era, or you see, your, or you live long enough to see yourself become the one black and one gray dress. <laughs> By the way, this is not a transition at all. Um, anybody who thinks that the Bronte sisters were lying and that a man or their brother specifically wrote the books, uh, meet me out back. <laughs> what I'm going to catch her hands. Really, what what I'm going to do. Is really Not the rye. We're going to catch that. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> what I think is really interesting, though, is how, you know, if, if you read biographies of the Brontes, if, if you listen to that, they really did love and respect their father. Mm-hmm. But... Charlotte, and he was a curate. He was he was a he was a minister. He was a Calvinist minister, which is what Sinjin was, which was what Mr. Brocklehurst was. And um, yet she, she, but apparently she she they really really did love their father. I mean, there's a fictional book out there which is really fascinating, which is the sins of Charlotte Bronte or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a fun one to read. But I mean, it's, it's you should also read the Air Affair. <laughs> I haven't read that one. It's, it's on really good. List. It's on my list, but you know. I can give my copy to Libby to, to lend to you if you'd like. It's quite good. My uncle gave it to me. I don't think he liked it. <laughs> but you know, I think that it's interesting how you know all the biographies really say that that they really loved their father, but she has Sinjin Rivers and Mr. Brocklehurst in there. In Wuthering That's Heights, there's also that really preachy gardener who annoys the crap out of oh, everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not- Joseph. Yes, Joseph. He's not uh, a priest, but I think he'd like to be if he had the money to go to school. He's very annoying. I was going to say, as far as they love their father, but they have the two characters that in, in the book that are pretty awful. I would say, being in his sphere, they're likely to have come across people like that. Though. Oh, absolutely. And that's probably why. Because they don't see their father that way, but they see others in the same sphere as that way. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like most literary works, all, um, have basis in reality. Mm -hmm. So she likely saw the associates of her father that she did not like. She didn't like their attitude. She didn't like the way that they portrayed themselves, or they didn't like how they treated her. And she took those... Snippets, like those snippets. Snippets. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Words. I know um, many big words. Some of them helpful. Only some. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find a way for me to naturally use flossiness in a hillipillification, I'll give you the dollar in my purse. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean again? Valuing something to be worthless. So can you like, say the word again? Flossiness in a hillipillification. I can say it faster. I cannot spell it. <laughs> you can say it back. Flossy, Nossy, Flossy, Flossy, Nossy, Nossy, Nahill, Nahill, Uphill, Uphill, Ification, Ification. And it means Flossy, Nossy, Nahill, Ifications. To value something as being worthless. Tell people your dad's an English teacher without telling people your dad's an English teacher. Oh, that's so funny. Totally random, but it reminded me of a joke that like English teachers <laughs> make really good baristas. <clears throat> but you know what the rally was cry of the anthropology go? major is? No. Would you like fries with that, oh. sir? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man. Um. Oh god, what was I saying? We were talking about. We have bases in reality, but yes. Probably, so. Yeah. So Jane likely took those as snippets, thank you, and and used them to portray Mr. Brocklehurst and Sinjin. Or, mm, but how many people did she meet? And the reason I ask that is because they lived in Haworth, which is on the moors, in this tiny little village, and to go to Cowan Bridge, ten miles away, what it was a boarding school, and it took them. It, it, they, the, the daughters had to be dying of 
typhoid and typhus and consumption and all of those things in order to get their father to come get them. Mm. So how many people did they actually interact with? It would have been her father, and the, the, who was the minister, and his curate. So, mm -hmm. you know. So it's an interesting question of, are the biographies correct in that they really, really, really adored their dad? Mm. Or Were the is, biographies patriarchal? Or is Jane Eyre more correct and that's how the Brontes saw their father? Mm -hmm. And it may have been a really interesting com combination because human relationships are not <laughs> simple. But they do not it exist in the void. It would be yeah. an interesting scholarship to pursue. I hope Charlotte Bronte doesn't haunt me for this, but I'm going to compare her to Jane Austen. Um, she hated Jane Austen. Not as a person, but her writing. She, um, Jane Austen wrote Emma and Pride and Prejudice, both of which have absolutely ridiculous ministers who propose to the lead character in a very weird and offensive manner and won't take no for an answer. And I feel like maybe they just had a bad reputation about that at the time. Possible, yeah, yeah. probably. Well, it's like the same kind of. Too. Uh, no, mm -hmm. term. It's kind of like like a fuck boy, or like <laughs> you know, they have a they have a type. They're the guys that are in frats that are studying business. Call Mr. That, Collins, a fuck you know, wear chubby shorts <laughs> and vineyard vines, and you know, probably have some kind of you know <laughs> trust fund or mm -hmm. living off daddy's money, drive a mm -hmm. jeep, like. You know, I, I say all of those things. You're picturing a very particular guy in your head, and you're picturing a very particular way, like, that that person would interact and behave towards you in your head. So I think it's very say, like, very fair to say that it was probably just a trope in that era, mm -hmm. and you could, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, be like, oh, yeah, he's a, he's a Bitcoin carnivore, and, like, you already know how someone <laughs> is going to act towards you. says that in the, in the final chapter when he's talking about, you know, a puffed-up parson mm -hmm. elevated on his high-lows, and... Uh, <laughs> but you also have to remember which were high heeled shoes for men. Okay. You know, if you that makes sense. At the time, it was short, just high heeled shoes. Uh. <laughs> but anyway, you also have to remember that in this day and age, it is your choice what career field you, you choose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those in the ministry are called to it, you know, by either however you want to, however you want to inter interpret that term because I not, know that not all of us believe the same way. But um, back then, you had you had the heir. The firstborn son was your the heir. in the heir. And, <laughs> and then the secondborn son was generally for the church. Mm -hmm. And then the thirdborn son, well, we'll buy him a commission. Because <laughs> right. there's it's nothing. interesting and that the secondborn being for the church. was broke and had no, no point. Mm -hmm. He better marry a good, uh, a rich woman. Mm -hmm. It's interesting okay. that after the Reformation, the second one being for the church persisted. Because, like, the heir needs to have another heir. The second one doesn't. So he could go into the church. Mm -hmm. But after, they, after the Reformation, they could have, be in the church and have an heir. Mm -hmm. So, since the second one is supposed to be, like, for the church, that would change a lot in The Lion King. I'm just saying. <laughs> you don't think there are corrupt? Well, be prepared. You know, oh, that, that's that still true. makes that's sense. That's true. It's like a giant cathedral of hyenas. Nazi yeah, hyenas. So. <laughs> so the Lion King's just Hamlet, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We no, discussed Hamlet that at like, is a dumbed down Lion King. There are not enough musical numbers in Hamlet. I will die on this hill. Weird <laughs> <laughs> hill to die on, but at least I'm dead. <laughs> to be or not to be, you mean a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was so, that was a lot. I am sad I missed that. <laughs> We're not having an asthma attack today, Libby. I'm sorry. Heather. No, you're fine. So if you consider that that Brocklehurst was probably a second because he didn't have he didn't have anything to inherit, mm -hmm. and if you consider that Sinjin, well, he chose to go into the ministry. Mm -hmm. Because he was the heir, but he didn't have anything to inherit because his dad was broke. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, there's... And, like and what I also, like to call Jane Austen poor. They did still have a house and a housekeeper. Millennials do not consider that poor. 
But they would have at the time. <laughs> well, yeah, but the house and the housekeeper consider how much work. I mean, you, again, you have to you have to think about what happened at that time and what oh, yeah. it was like at that time. You know, I mean, how much work is it to keep that house? Plus, the servant was in the family. She came in to nurse the children, mm-hmm. and they kept her because. As a nurse, she wouldn't have had the education. Are we talking to... about a different book now? No, no, no. We're talking about the last chunk of Jane Eyre yeah. when she's with the Rivers family. Yeah, yeah, with, with uh, Han, Hannah. But she came in as a, and and nursed Sinjin and Diana and Mary when when they were young. But as a nurse, she would not have had the education to to go somewhere else. And so often they were kept. Mm-hmm. The servant was mm-hmm. kept in the family, and she would call him Master Sinjin. And, you know, like Mr. But for yeah. the, when he was a kid, yeah. yeah, and and so she would be kept until she died, and that was her retirement. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the deal was that you were going to be cooking and cleaning and doing the work. A la the nurse in um, Romeo and Juliet, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, which had zero lobsters in it. <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, all agreed Wait, basically zero out of ten, like no lobsters. The we'll two not read main again. characters. <laughs> Maybe we should make that a weekly thing. This week's book has like the, this many the lobsters. Right. I've seen Love Actually. There was more than one lobster <laughs> present to the price. Your first lobster <laughs> in the nativity play? I don't think you've seen Love Actually. That's yeah. the other I, I have. Okay. Yeah, I've been, I've been just just I just did not. My apologies. Oh my gosh, no, you're good. Um, so I just, I really just want to call Sinjin an ass. You're right. He, he's an ass. You're going to stop at that? Yes. And that's... <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to close out at that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, like, Confirmed, okay. Sinjin is an ass. <laughs> Too long. Literally. Did not listen. One of my uh, notes. How dare you, Sinjin? Like, seriously. Yeah. It's in all caps, man. Yeah. It is. Middle of the page. Well, let's... And she had to write those caps. Yeah, she had to write them with her bare hands. Yep. Yeah. In red. Yes. In, re- that, in I mean, red. It's all in red, though. It, it, it like the blood of angry men. The... Ooh, should we read the Scarlet Letter next? <laughs> Please don't make me read the Scarlet Letter. <laughs> yeah. There's a big fat red A right there in the middle of the page. <sighs> Zero Stands lobsters. All... I don't want to read. Stands for all kinds of things. Negative five lobsters. <laughs> That's our new rating system, everyone. <laughs> Because number one, the literal line of if she rejects him, she rejects God. I hate that with every fiber of my being. But he is God. This is how you he is. He is, he is how you nuts. know Sinjin is white. And this is another reason Remember why we know it was written by a woman. Because if it was written by a man, he would have been like, "Why has she not accepted the proposal? Like, why? It's 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 no brainer. It is a no brainer. Yeah." Inconceivable! <laughs> they would have called Jane Eyre a foolish you woman. You keep using that book. word. Yeah. I don't think it means what you think it means. Inconceivable! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then I absolutely hate how he said that she is made for a missionary's wife. Oh my god! And she's like, which means that girl, she's not made you for anything ugly. Else. Go away! <laughs> like, are you kidding me? You are insulting her. As you're trying to give her a reason to marry you. Like, that comes up why? in Anne of Green Gables, too. She's like, I think I'll marry a missionary. A missionary doesn't need a pretty wife, and I'm not very pretty. And I'm like, honey. Honey. You can honey. get a doctor. like <laughs> <laughs> Instead of, say, a colonizer. Yeah, set your, set your sights higher. If you see it, it's within grasp. Anyway. It'll hit you one day. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at the sky, wondering why the boomerang was getting bigger and bigger, and then it hit me. <laughs> okay, so I have a question. Mm-hmm. I know that this book was based mostly, it, it draws a lot of Charlotte Bronte's life into the novel. Um, but do are you of the opinion that Jane attracts broken or gloomy circumstances? I mean, oh. she... She's in a gothic novel. I think it just is. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean. (laughs) Rochester is one of our top Byronic heroes. He can't just exist in the regular. It has to be The metaphor for the book was required it. (laughs) 
So, and I also, I want to go back to Sunjin really, really quick and the comparison between him and Rochester. I love how he's only in like a hundred pages of this very long book and we're just like, we're going to spend an hour dragging Sinjin. Through the mud. Like, there are oil. several other men we could <laughs> be dragging, but we've chosen Sinjin. So, um, just for some background, so I grew up and I was homeschooled from the time I was you know, in preschool all the way through graduation of high school. Mm -hmm. The first time I read uh, Jane Eyre, I was 14 years old, and I was very, very, very conservative. And when I first read this book, I was so mad that she rejected Sinchin's proposal because he seemed like he was the better man under the lens of the upbringing <laughs> that I had. And so I can also yeah. see how it would have been very easy, like, when this book was published, that this is a very kind of love triangle-y... Mm -hmm. Thing and that there's a big comparison between them, the two. Um, but I also think that if you look at these two men, Sinjin is offering Jane the life that she's kind of always seen and expected for herself. Mm -hmm. And I think it also just goes to show how, like, her and Rochester, they transcend, like, the love match marriage that's in a lot of Jane Austen novels. And they... She describes at the very end of the book them being, you know, completely bone of bone and flesh of flesh in a way that no other man and woman are. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a depiction of, like, soulmates rather than... Which is um, why she could hear him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, like, you know, towards the beginning of... Or I wouldn't say the beginning. Just depending on if you're going to count page numbers. But Helen is kind of her moral compass, mm -hmm. or becomes her moral compass. You can tell she represents innocence because yes. she dies less than a third into the book. And That's... she also dies as a child. Yes. <laughs> that doesn't happen in Count of Monte Cristo, but pretty much every time. Save it for Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> it's a long book. I... <laughs> <laughs> I think I tried to start reading it like in high school, and I just I think it's it got... really good, but it's a slog. As you were saying, anyway, so <laughs> we see we see as Jane develops, um, she stops being a person who looks at true north in in a way, which I think that is completely fine, and that just describes you know coming of age and growing up, and you realize that there's no complete black and white to any aspect of aspect of life mm -hmm. and then rochester becomes like her soulmate and her equal opposite and the other kind of magnetic force in her life and replaces this um like very strict moralistic way that she's lived her life and has and you can see even from the narrative when she's like a very small child, like she has a very strong sense of justice, mm -hmm. but that doesn't look like the moral code that she's growing up in, whether it's in Mrs. Reed's house or the school or um, wherever. But I think that... So there's her, kind of an implication that morality is innate rather than taught. In a sense, yeah. yeah. Um, but I also think it's, I mean, it depends on how you read it because you can read it from the narrative of like, she's experiencing these things and she's kind of an impetulant child just based off of who you are in the context of reading that book. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that at the very end when she eventually goes back to Rochester and chooses him, it's it's just a very unique, um, like, it's, a, it's not a narrative that's seen in a lot of the novels that were published then or I think even published now because she's kind of choosing a third way um, and choosing you know someone who is her equal um, and not necessarily like the white knight or anything like that mm -hmm. um, and yeah it doesn't so, have the didacticism that a lot of Victorian novels have either. yes yes because like even in Pride and Prejudice like we see Darcy's an ass in the beginning yeah. And then at the end, like, the second half of that book is him just, like, redeeming himself for mm -hmm. all of the bad qualities. Or and, you know, trade. Lydia. Yes. Save us for the... Yes. But even in, like, this book, you know, Rochester, like, even though he's a um, maimed and loses his vision and he becomes, you know, I would say, like, a less fiery, boisterous character... There's not, we don't see a lot of moral development with him. We more just see the reason for their marriage not taking place being taken away. And I know that he does change in some aspects, mm -hmm. um, becoming like a softer version of himself. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just a very different narrative than 
other popular books from yeah. this time period. That's a real standout. Mm-hmm. I would I would argue that he doesn't change. I would I would argue that point maybe because if you read the prayer that he that he that he prays at the end after he and Jane have decided to get married and mm-hmm. you know all of that it really does he really does say you know I have I really was on the, the bad path mm-hmm. and I hope that I can be forgiven and walk a better path forward. Mm-hmm. And that's total, totally paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that I might say, "God that forgive I me, man, middle not with me. I have her and mean to hold her." Change that one. Mm-hmm. Was that? It was right after he proposes, right? Yeah, like the very end. Oh, the second time. Yeah. Table of contents. Yeah, uh, I thank my Maker that in the midst of judgment, judgment. He has remembered mercy. I humbly entreat my Redeemer to give me strength to lead henceforth a purer life than I have done hitherto. That one? There are yeah, two books one. in that copy right there. What now? You have like a comp- compilation book there? Yes. I was like, that's not the end. I, you're yes, right in the middle. Is, this is Jane Eyre, Wuthering <laughs> Heights, and Agnes Gray. I'm caught up, thank you. Okay, yep, you're good. So yeah. And it also says, you know, Jane, you think me, I dare say, an irreligious dog, but my heart swells with gratitude to the beneficent God of this earth just now. Mm. He sees not as man sees, but far clearer. Judges not as man judges, but far more wisely. I did wrong. I would have sullied my innocent flower, breathed guilt on its purity. The omnipotent snatched it from me. I, in my stiff-necked rebellion, almost cursed the dispensation instead of bending to the decree I defied it. Divine justice pursued its course. Disasters came thick upon me. I mean, that's almost, she's almost using language from the Psalms. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Which is kind of funny because there was a lot of polygamy when the Psalms were written. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, the, My degree is in comparative religion. <laughs> well, the writer of the book has seven wives and probably some concubines that we don't know about, but, and an affair with Bathsheba, but, you know. Mm, right, Bathsheba. Uh, yes. <laughs> right, because it's from the man's perspective. Well, it d- depends on how you're looking at it. If you're looking at it from his perse- perspective, he had a relationship with her. If you're looking at it from her perspective, it was rape. I'm yeah. looking at it from her from, perspective. From his perspective as well, it was, because she was she was conducting, and this is off on a rabbit trail, she was conducting a, a, a religious purification ceremony in the privacy of her own home. That was bathing. That was on the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was on the roof, but that was where they lived, and she would have been under a cover or something. But she was cons- she was doing a religious, uh, a required religious purification. Oh, religious purification rituals are oh. so interesting. I can't get into it right now because we're doing the podcast. <laughs> you don't get that kind of guilt trip if the other person consented. That's my opinion on the Bathsheba story. Well, exactly. in the Old Testament, there is no consent. There is just marriage and <laughs> having sex. But he sex had a guilt trip too. Yeah, he oh, had he a did. guilt trip. Yes, he did. He sent her husband to the front lines to get killed in the Veggie Tales version in the Great Pie War. He got pie. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read the actual story in a hot minute <laughs> to get rid of him so he could sleep with her, and then he starts to feel bad. Well, okay, in the Veggie Tales oh, version, poor it was to acquire his, his rubber duck. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree that, so, (laughs) we do see that change in Rochester, it's just Uh a much, it's much softer, and, like, it's not a a huge part of the whole narrative of the story, the way that Pride and Prejudice is, where Darcy, for the second half of the book, is just, like, trying to redeem all of his characters systematically through the Secretly letters. Secretly solve her girlfriend's problems with money, call so, that the Darcy yeah. method. Yeah. And see, um, I thought Elizabeth could have done so much better than Darcy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no dowry, no money, no family background. She should be glad she got a man. No, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Matchmaker. Thank Take you. Take your time. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. He's a matchless match. Thank you. <laughs> Golda and Mrs. Bennett would be proud. 
Oh, yes. Well, so was Rochester at the beginning of the novel. I mean, he was he was in his 30s. In oh, that is. In his 30s, he was wealthy. He mm-hmm. was landed gentry. I mean, That's one of the things that cat. was so pivotal about this book in the yeah. 1840s and Pride and Prejudice. We're drawing, we're going to get haunted, guys. Charlotte Bronte is not going to like this episode. And no, not at all. We're not the first nor the last to Probably not. The, there's, there's a legend. Okay. There's like a rumor that Jane Eyre is based on the Jane Fairfax character in Emma that like was going to be a governess but ended up getting married to somebody really high up. It's not true. At all. There was one thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, that I didn't write down. (laughs) Okay, so at the end of the novel, I feel like Rochester became more defined by his disability than than what he was previously. Mm -hmm. Um, That became like his entire personality was I'm disabled. I mean, I can tell you as not to interrupt, but as somebody who became disabled in a new way as an adult very very suddenly it's very jarring and you spend the first couple weeks at least just do taking care of that 24 7. it's exhausting you have to explain it to a lot of people and for a hot minute you think it might kill you i'm still alive i thought i'd make it six months and here we are at three years hello yay and i have an inhaler now (laughs) um but i feel like I mean, yes, his home burned down, and he lost his wife, he lost his property, he lost his status. Um, I'm not sure entirely if he lost his fortune. No. I mean, he had a second house and all that land. So, he lost those things, and that's understandable that this would be, like, hugely jarring. Um, But I feel like he, like, how he was portrayed at the end of the novel, it was more... Jane, how could you be here? I can't see. I don't have a hand. How could you like, yeah. stand to be around someone Being like disabled me? is and like a big deal now, but it's a bigger deal then, I think, because there weren't as many accommodations available. And I'm sorry I interrupted. No, you're fine. I just feel like he became more focused on I'm disabled rather than, okay, well, it happened. And, you know, I, I, you know it takes time in, to process the events that happened. I just... I got a little frustrated that he kept going on and on and on about it. But that's probably just me. One of the things I always... He was still in depression. Well, that and I think in that time period, like, that is your defining thing. I Mm -hmm. mean, there's not... Like Tori said, there wasn't really a lot of accommodation, but it also, like, that was, like, your defining Mm-hmm. Trait. There's no when you were government disabled. Program. Yeah. Well, the government and program just, now like, is not good, but at least it is there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just that that is his defining feature as a person, and and that's what ultimately like leads him and Jane to being so close. But when you go from and they didn't have rehabilitation, they didn't have anything to do when you went blind and lost one of your hands. And your hand, was it his right or his left hand? I can't remember. Does it ever specify? I think it, I think it was his left. Okay. I don't think she's mean enough to take his right hand. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it also said he, he ends up being able to read a little bit and write a little bit. Mm-hmm. But even the blindness, I mean, that is, you know, your form of communication with Mm-hmm. the world and for him that's all of his business that he has to do as a landowner and you know especially in that time mm-hmm. when you didn't have you didn't have audiobooks you mm-hmm. didn't I mm-hmm. mean your way of communication outside talking to the people that you were with was writing letters mm-hmm. that was it and also in that culture in that day and age he was the landed gentleman mm-hmm. he was he was you know, he was set up to marry Blanche Ingram of Ingram Park, and that was a big deal. And that meant that he was probably because Blanche's mother was a lady, and she's the honorable. You know, he was Mister Rochester, which means he made his money somewhere in the family. He had made his money in trade, but he was set up to marry the honorable Blanche Ingram, who was titled somewhere. You know, her father held a title. We're talking like old, 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 old money. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're talking old, old, old money. Rochester is not new money because, you know, but he was he was a landed gentleman in the neighborhood and he was probably a social leader and he was probably high on the on the protocol list. Can you, you know? imagine having Mr. Rochester for your social leader? 
Well, he didn't. He. I would be so popular in this country. I think. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that he paid a whole lot of attention to the social mores at the time, as far as, but because, but his house was set up to have twenty or thirty people as a house party, mm-hmm. plus the attendant servants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, he was he was high up, and so. He was used to being the leader. He was the foremost. He was number one. He was primo. And so his disability took not only his physical capabilities from him, mm-hmm. but it took everything mm-hmm. from it him. It truly humbled him. Can you imagine, yeah. though, reading this book and going to compare it to Pride and Prejudice again? Um, Elizabeth turning down Darcy, Jane turning down Rochester, Clitai and Anne, um, Anne turning down Gill. Can you imagine reading that in a context where you have barely any money, no power over your own bank account, like you don't have options that aren't get married, richest man you know is like, hey, (laughs) can you imagine saying no? Can you imagine reading somebody saying no? Like as soon as whoever read that, they were like, get my horse, I have to go tell Helen. When she turns him down after she finds out, like she could have money, she could be financially secure, she could go see France. but she doesn't because she thinks it's morally wrong. And the, the strength of character that would take in 1847, when that's like, it's like that, or, you know, wander up the road and hope you don't starve, which she almost does. It's very impressive to me. Also, to the one person who might be listening who doesn't like first person narratives, I say, <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> I always found it slightly unbelievable that she would be dying and, and starving that she would attribute her near death to starvation and three days of starvation wandering. I'm like, mm, no, three days isn't going to kill you. You just miss Rochester that much. You have been beaten down that severely. It's also the rule of threes. You can last three minutes without oxygen, three days without water, three weeks without food. Well, she had water. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So... So I dragged that off the rails, didn't I? No, it's okay. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's how we roll here. So there is, I I feel like there is a portion when she is wandering where she gets up from, like, a place she was sleeping, and she basically, in a very fancy, long, drawn-out way, says that she wished she hadn't woken up or she wished she had died. So I think you're right. It's mostly from heartbreak. And, Mm -hmm. again, to, like, be in the middle of your wedding... And some random dude shows up and is like, hey, you can't marry her. That She's married, to, he's married to my sister. That's a huge... I can't imagine, like, the weight of exhaustion I would feel. Not after to mention the that. fact that it kind of was her fault. Because she was the one who sent the letter to her uncle mm-hmm. saying that she was going to marry Rochester. And Mr. Briggs was there, who, who was... No, Mr. Mason was there, who was... Um, his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law. Thank you. Uh-huh. So Mason heard the news from her uncle from her leather- letter. And so Mr. Mason drove back to say, no, this can't take place. Mr. Rochester's a, a demon. Every time Scoundrel. I think about Scoundrel. Mr. Mason and Mr. Briggs interrupting the wedding, in my head they're like, it's Brittany, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Scott with Lady Gaga playing. <laughs> Mr. Mason's not very smart. Can you imagine being woken up by your employer in the middle of the night to like perform medical procedures you're not qualified to perform and then just going back to bed? I can't. <laughs> I don't know if I would be able to go back to sleep at that well, point. Well, she didn't go back to sleep, did she? Oh, that's yeah. right. She stayed up because it was like morning. Yeah. Pre-dawn. Does anyone else hate Blanche Ingram? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, yes. I hate <laughs> Blanche Ingram, but I think it's partially a not-like-other-girls sort of idea that makes us hate Blanche Ingram. Like, what she was doing was not unfair. Like I, like I said earlier, he doesn't bring anything else to the table. And, and he knew what what he was getting into And he was before he did the like, cross-dressing. She's not great, but he was a real dick to her. <laughs> Her song in the musical is hysterical, by the way. It's not a great musical, but it's a good song. I think that she was, she was the dick first, actually. Because she was the one that treated Adele badly. She's the one who refused to acknowledge Jane as a person, essentially. Although, at that Um, time, 
Wouldn't treating Adele badly also dishonor uh, Rochester? I always screw up the name. No, it wouldn't have dishonored him because Adele is his ward, which is basically him saying, well, no, I'm not telling you that she's my daughter, but I'm going to take responsibility. So everybody figured, and it was never actually answered in the book, Mm -hmm. but... Everybody figured that Adele was his daughter. He definitely had reason to think she might be. Yeah, exactly. And so Blanche has has that jealousy there, but, you know... You know, Rochester for an ugly man really, and an asshole at that, really gets around. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, he's loaded. He's in his mid-30s, and and at that point, they had a serious shortage of men. Because of the Napoleonic Wars. Because of the Napoleonic Wars. Mm -hmm. Um, and men were waiting longer to get married. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there was a superfluity of women, as it was put <laughs> in several books and newspaper articles. I did a um, dramatic interp speech in high school from Jane Eyre. And it was just Jane reflecting on how much of a bitch Blanche Ingram was. <laughs> I was a very angsty homeschooler in that, but... <laughs> <laughs> and the thing beautiful. is, Jane couldn't fight back mm-hmm. in any way because she was the governess. She was slightly higher than the servants, but she was way lower than anybody in the household, including Mrs. Fairfax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's a yeah. very lonely position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it puts you in the way to be lonely anyway. Yeah, and it, it puts you in danger because mm-hmm. if there's young gentlemen in the house, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. governess is fair pickings. But, I mean, it was a way for her to claim independence. Yeah, she did get out of the school, which is what she wanted. She was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's well, not going to be great, but it'll be a change. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Which, it's not that she wanted to get out of the school. It's that she wanted a different scene. Mm-hmm. Like, she wanted to change the scenery. So, final thoughts on Jane Eyre. I have a question. You might have an answer. For Heather. You might get an answer. Of course. So you seem like you love the book the most out of this group of people. Maybe, except for you. I don't know. He's also a little bit. But you've, you've, you've read it more than anyone here. And you've read it over a long period of time. How has your view on the book changed over the years? Or what have you picked up differently that you didn't pick up as a kid or as a teen or as an adult? Um, I missed, when I, when, I was, when I was reading it as a teenager, I read it very surface. Okay. Very, very much surface. And then as I got older and things, you know, things happen, you, you have kids and you have, you have houses and you have losses and you have, you have tragedies and you have things that, that hurt you and you have life, you know, because that's, that's what life is. You know, you have great joys, you have great sorrow. Um, I discovered that it's actually a novel of, there's, it, it, the whole basic theme of Jane Eyre is redemption, mm-hmm. you know. Jane has this this horrible childhood with with her cousin John and her aunt Reed and her cousins Georgiana and and uh, cousins Eliza. named John. Bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Whether it's John or Sinjin, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and thank you. I hadn't caught that. I forget I've it every time it until I was reading it. Times and I still hadn't. Caught I have that. read it times, as many times as you, but this is my fifth reread. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I also but, love that there's the, going off of the cousin's name, John, I love that there's the comparison of, like, the family she was raised with, which is the two girls and the boy, and they're terrible, and then she gets mm-hmm. the redemption arc again yeah. of and the then two girls and the boy. She has cousins who are nice to her, and suddenly mm-hmm. cousins count as family for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Biggest coincidence in the classical novel genre, she ends up on her cousin's doorstep to mm-hmm. die. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's the redemption throughout the novel. We have, you know, the, her, her childhood is redeemed. Her childhood, even at Lowood, is redeemed by her becoming a teacher and, and doing good. And then she goes to Thornfield and, you know, her she's actually doing well and enjoying herself. And then, you know, all of this with Rochester happens, but that's redeemed by her being able to find her cousins. and Because she would never have found her family mm-hmm. had Rochester not made her leave. And then at the end, even Rochester is redeemed mm-hmm. through the fire and the loss and all of that. Fire purifies. And even Sinjin is redeemed in a way mm-hmm. because he ends up with his desire, which kills him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gets fried in India, mm-hmm. but he's happy about this. Mm-hmm. So, you know. That's why you bring zinc. It's the active ingredient in sunscreen. 
Yeah. So, okay. what yeah. Doesn't, <laughs> so what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but what does kill you makes you happy. No. Huh. <laughs> you know what? In some ways, that doesn't. That's not a horrible summary. I would put that in the Cliff Note version. <laughs> For the PLDR. Yeah, there you go. One of my favorite parts of this book, possibly the very favorite part of this book for me, is right at the beginning, even though I don't like the first chunk, when Mr. Brocklehurst is like, do you know how to avoid hell? And she's like, I must strive to keep in good health and not die. Like, girl, it is 1847. He's allowed to hit you. I always had my doubts about the little child who who went offered a ginger nut or a psalm. Oh, a psalm to learn. Angels learn psalms, and he gets two nuts for his trouble. And I'm like, yeah. The cynical among us might wonder about that answer. R.I.P. Pavlov, you would have loved. <laughs> yes, yes. Pavlov or Freud? Although Pavlov. A- Pavlov was the bell dog guy. Oh, yeah. okay. Although that's not actually how it worked. Any other final thoughts on Is it just a Freud? One of my favorite phrases of all time. I can't actually read it. He doesn't have a skeleton in his oh. closet. He's got a bursa in his epic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. I forgot about that. <laughs> My dad once was like, do people actually say that? And I was like, not very many people. <laughs> <laughs> oh Just the cool ones. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. So next episode, we are doing A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. Feel free to listen in next time and come read with us. Cool.